0: Actually, she just kind of illustrated one of the, the major differences in our celebration of Christmas over the last thousand years or so. Christmas came into the, the church, of course. It wasn't ever in scripture told us to, to celebrate Christmas. We've, we kind of picked that one up a few hundred years later. But Christmas and the celebration of Christmas has changed very much over this, the last thousand, fifteen hundred years. It used to be that the four weeks leading up to Christmas was a time called, and you've heard the word before, Advent. This is not Christmas time, realistically speaking. We've turned it into that, but actually this is Advent. Advent is the four weeks in preparation, waiting for Christmas day. So for those four weeks, you would sing not Christmas carols, you would sing Advent songs, just as Rachel just did. And you would prepare yourself, you prepare your heart. And then christmas eve you would gather and that would be the final time of advent then the next day you'd come to church and you would celebrate christmas and then you would sing joy to the world you'd sing the christmas carols and how long did the celebration of christmas last how many days 12 days that's exactly right for the next 12 days there was feasting and partying and having a wonderful time that's how christmas used to be celebrated and then you would do that right up until january 6th i think it is the day of what we call epiphany And that was the celebration of Christmas. But we are way too impatient for that. We want the parties and the fun, everything well before that. So now we just call it Christmas time. But actually, for the most of the the time of the church, this was Advent, a time of preparation. Thank you, Rachel. We appreciate that that song just for the reminder of this is the time of preparing our hearts. Not just our houses and not just our appetites but our hearts for the coming of Jesus Christ. Once again, as we celebrate that, we're in the short series that we're calling this Christmas in one word. What's the one word that best describes Christmas? And if you've been with us, what is that word? Emmanuel. It's a cheating word. It's a Hebrew word. There is no one word in English that best describes Christmas that does not exist. It takes three or four words to to translate Emmanuel. Either God with us, or if you want to put a verb in there, you can. God is with us. But one word in the Hebrew... Emmanuel. And it just means this. God has come to be with us. Now the actual word Emmanuel is only used a few times. I told you that last week. The Bible doesn't talk much about that particular word, but it describes completely and fully what Emmanuel means. And here it is from the gospel according to John chapter one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And here it is. This is Emmanuel. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Whereas the message says, the word became flesh and bone and moved into the neighborhood. God, who had always been here, for as we've already seen in the series that we just finished up in this last fall, God is spirit. God is always present in all places. And yet, at Christmas time, we celebrate the fact that he put on flesh. What's the word we use to uh, put on flesh? What is that word? In incarnation sure carne means flesh in the in the the latin incarnation means to put on flesh it means god who has always existed and has always been here puts on flesh real flesh not pretend flesh last week we talked about pretend flesh we called it a theophany you all remember that word don't you i'm sure you do this is where god actually put on real honest to goodness human flesh and walked with us and lived with us, and lived among us. We call that, in one word, Emmanuel. Christmas time is the celebration of Emmanuel. It is not his birthday. Okay. So if anybody says to you, "Well, what is December 25th?" You say, "Well, that's Jesus' birthday." No, it isn't. We have no idea when he was born. None. Other than we're pretty certain it wasn't December 25th, because the shepherds were outside. Remember that? They they're not outside in the winter time there. There, are other places. So December 25th is almost certainly not his birthday. So if anybody says, it's December 24th, what do you do? That? Well, that's when we celebrate his birthday. Well, maybe that's when we celebrate his birthday. It's not his birthday. But you understand that Christmas is so much more than just celebrating a birthday. It's celebrating Emmanuel, God with us. Now, for the world in which we live... Um, most of the world is, is and even here in America, by the way, I don't know if you saw some of the um, news reports this last week, they went out and did polls and surveys, I don't know who pays them to do that kind of stuff, sounds like a cushy job to me, but anyway, there it is. And they, uh, they asked people and found out that, that about half of the people are religious about this day and the other half aren't at all. I mean, in America, that's 300 million people and about 150 million people, there's no religious connotation to it at all, it's It's nothing. It's just a day of celebration. But you know what's interesting about that? The essence of Emmanuel is still part of all of our celebrations, whether we acknowledge Emmanuel or not. Because if you talk to people who even aren't religious about this time, they'll talk about peace, love, joy, generosity, goodness. All those things come from Emmanuel. All those things exist because of Emmanuel. The whole idea of Jesus Christ and what he brings into this world is Emmanuel. Whether you acknowledge him or you don't, you still acknowledge what he brought in and what this whole time is about. That's why the secular celebrations of Christmas don't really bother me all that much, because at least they're getting part of it right. Love, joy, peace, the presence of God, that's Emmanuel. And yes, it has become very consumer-oriented, but can I just give you my little take on that one? I'll step aside from the pulpit so that she knows my own opinion. There we go. Uh, yeah, it is consumer. But what I realized was I would probably buy all of these presents for my family anyway throughout the year. I just kind of save them all up and give them at Christmas time. I'm not spending any more than I would normally spend throughout the year. It's just as we get closer, I say, you know what? Instead of buying this for Chelsea or buying it, I think I'll, I'll hold off and I'll give it at Christmas time and we give them all in one lump sum. I don't know if that's the way you do it. But I realize that's how I live my life. It really isn't consumer-oriented. I'm still going to give the people I love these presents. I'll just do it all year long, which I still do anyway, to some degree. But I always set some aside. And it's okay if you're buying presents for people. It's okay. Just a couple of things. First of all, don't buy their love with it. You can't do that. And don't spend more than you can afford. Beyond that, be generous. Have a blast. Whatever you can do. It's all right. Okay, so, so that's what Christmas means to the world out there. For us, it means Emmanuel. God has done something incredible. God has put on flesh and lived right there with us. So that's what we're looking at in this very short series. Here we are. What Emmanuel means for my life. And I don't just mean you get a fun time to party in December. It's a whole lot more than that. Okay, first of all, a couple weeks ago, this is what we learned. First, I am not alone. God came to be with us. He came to be with us and never leave us and to understand us. He is on my side. God is on my side. He came to be with me. I am not alone because of Emmanuel. He is always here and nothing can really hurt me nothing i mean there are things that can hurt this body i'm in there are things that can hurt my finances there are lots of things that can that can hurt the physical form but there's nothing that can really hurt me because of emmanuel god loves me so much he came to be with me i am not alone and one day i'll lay all of this aside and i will live with him forever and ever and ever because of emmanuel last week we saw this that the creator god believes in me now that's if you didn't hear that one you can get it online right there on our website. Go to the podcast, click on it, and you can listen to it. The creator God believes in me. Now, I'm not trying to make the whole universe about you or about me. What we're trying to do is speak to the truth that says that some people out there think that God is ashamed of us, that God hates us, that we're vile, evil creatures, and God just goes, oh, my world, I'm going to create a hell just so you can burn forever in there. Or that God came to this world like this. I don't know where we got that. Well, I actually do know where we got that. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. You want to know the truth? God loves you so much. He believes in you. He came to be one of you. He came to be human being. He's not ashamed of humanity. He created humanity. Yes, humanity is broken, but he came to heal that. He's not ashamed of you. He doesn't hate you. He loves you. He came to be just like you and to walk the world that you walk in the flesh and blood that you walk in. He believes in your potential. He knows you can't live up to the potential in your current state. So he came to change that. But he loves you so much. He's not ashamed of you. His heart breaks for you because of all that you can be and all that you should be and all you were created to be but couldn't quite get there. And so God comes to us This morning then, another thing that Emmanuel means for my life is simply this. Here we go. There is an answer to the mess of this world and to my life. There it is. (laughs) There is an answer because of Emmanuel. There is an answer to the mess that this world is currently in and also the mess that I have made of my own life. That the world is in a mess really doesn't need a whole lot of explanation, does it? I mean, just recently we have we have seen examples of uh, pain and suffering here in America and around the world that makes you shake your head and you wonder, how can human beings do that to one another? How can governments do that to their own people? How can people do that to other people? How, what What's happened? That people are a mess. Well, that's obvious too how do you think the world got into a mess take away the people and the world's just the world the mess is caused because it's full of messy broken people why I mean we have the idea of God we have the idea of good as a matter of fact most cultures out there know the difference between good and evil it's just kind of inbred in you 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 just know that's why most cultures have that concept of you know you don't kill people you don't do that you 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 should treat them well but we can never seem to get there on our own what happened for some people they say well everybody is born good it's the way we're raised that's it it's the way we're raised it's the parents fault see because kids are all born good and if they turn out broken it's because the parents broke them well you know that's uh, convenient, I suppose. Uh, it's a convenient for me to say, well, I'm broken because my parents broke me. It's kind of guilt-ridden to say that my kids are broken because I broke them. That's kind of, uh, I don't want to go there, but the same would have to. But you know what? I have to get going back and back and say, where did all this start? And say, well, Adam and Eve were broken. Oh, is that because God broke them? Didn't he raise them? Anybody going to accuse God of breaking Adam and Eve and the way they were raised? I wouldn't really recommend that. God gave us all an ability that is um, at one time empowering and freeing, at the other time so frightening that it has resulted in everything you see bad around you, and he gave you a free will, and he said you get to choose. And we can be influenced, but we can't be forced. We get to choose. Others would say, well, no, we're born good. It's the culture that twists us. And I would say, that's wonderful, except who created the culture? People. Okay, so it comes back to people anywhere you go, okay? That's why the world is in a mess, because of humanity. How did all this happen? Well, how about this? We need to remember that just as surely that there is a Father, Son, and Spirit at work in this world, there is one who stands opposed to them, or him, if you want to use the singular for God. And we call him what? Satan, the devil. We believe in the reality of Satan and the reality of the devil. Jesus believed in the reality of Satan and the reality of the devil. There are two mistakes that we make here. Whenever we talk about him, and we don't talk about him much. There's not really reason to talk about him much. But today we're going to talk a little bit about him. Ready? The first mistake we make is to say, well, he doesn't exist. That's, that's all made up. It just, it just There really is no devil. There is no Satan. It's not true. The second one is to say, yes, he's there and he's so powerful. He can take over who I am and make me do bad things. And really, it's not my fault that I'm doing these things. It's Satan. He's the one. What was it, Flip Wilson? The what? The devil made me do it. And if you understand that phrase, then you are my age and I feel sorry for you very much. If you were younger, you're going, Flip who? What are you talking about? The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. Never. Can't be done. It's not possible. Because Satan, his most powerful weapon, is a lie. That's it. He can't force you to do something, he just lies to you. And you believe it. And when you believe it, you follow the lie. And then you're in control of the one who lies. You are in control of the liar. Because you believe the lie. He came to Adam and Eve and said, Don't worry about following God. Do your own thing. You won't die. It'll be fun. And Adam and Eve went, Oh yeah. And they believed the lie. Here we are. This is it. Whoever lies to us, and when we believe those lies, that person has control of who we are. Because, not because they're forcing us, not because they're, they've taken our hands and made them, because we have believed their lies and we have followed those lies, and those lies are now controlling our lives, and their lies are coming From the liar. So here's the first way that Emmanuel is the answer to the mess that the world is in. It's ready. He came to break Satan's hold on me. How was Satan's hold? Satan's hold on my life was really lies. That's what it was really all about. We get to choose who we're going to listen to. You're going to listen to God, you're going to listen to Satan, you get to make that choice. If you listen to Satan, he's going to lie to you about what you can do and what you can't do, who you are and who you're not, where you're going, where you've been, where you're headed. He's going to lie all over the place. And if you believe that, you're under his control because you believe the lies. We fell into the trap at the very beginning because humanity believed his lies. But Jesus came to break that hold. Look at this passage. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And the devil's work was to lie. When we believe those lies and we act on them, we have a word that we call it. We call it sin. It's a word we don't use very often. That's all it means. Satan has lied to us. And something within us wants to believe that lie, and we do. And we act on it. And instead of following God and acting what he says, we follow someone else and we act on what they say. Not because they're controlling us. They're not. They're just lying, and we listen. And whenever that happens, we call it sin. And the only reason that, that, that we believe those lies is because we want to. Sometimes it's more fun to believe those lies, isn't it? If sin wasn't tempting, we wouldn't do it. It's like most sane people. If sin was to take your thumb and to put it down here and smash it five times with a hammer, very few people would do that. But the lies that he tells us are really, really tempting. It's okay to do that. It's okay to watch that. Nobody will know. Everybody does it. It's okay to to take that. Don't worry about it. You deserve it. After all, people have been mean to you your whole life. Here's your opportunity for a little payback. You can do that. It's okay. And there's something inside of us that says, yeah, that's what I've been wanting to hear. I've been waiting for somebody to tell me that. That's sin. That's how it works the lies and and the problem with that is is when we do that when we give into that when we when we follow that as a lifestyle as all of us have done in the past followed that as a lifestyle it puts this huge wall between us and our creator god so this is an interesting thing i want you to write this down i put this in there just for you ready sin separated me from the one who loves me and enslaved me to the one who hates me what sense is there in that but that's the truth my father loves me so much, and he said, Look, here's the way I want you to go. But it didn't fit who I was, it wasn't what I wanted to do. Satan comes along and says, Now this is what you can do. And I go, Yeah, that's what I'm going to wait in the air. Off I go. And the one who loves me, there's this wall of separation now. And now I'm enslaved because I'm listening to the lies of so the one who actually hates my guts and wants to see me fall. It doesn't make any sense. But there it is. See, the truth is that Emmanuel, God, coming to this world, broke through Satan's lies. God came to say, look, I don't hate you. I love you. There is another way. It is possible to be different and with a different life. But we weren't listening. God has been telling us from the very beginning. But we weren't listening. We made a mess of things. And there is a rule written in the universe, by the way, whether you knew it or not actually you have it at home you just never thought that it applied everywhere else ready here it is if you make the mess what you clean it up isn't that a great rule otherwise all the kids grow up thinking that you know we're we're their servants if you make the mess you clean it up it's a good rule humanity made the mess who will clean up humanity and who will clean up the mess humans has to be that's the rule We were the ones. Humanity came and we listened to Satan's lies and we turned this whole world into a mess and God says, okay, now you have to clean it up. Who would do that? Who could do that? Nobody. Nobody. There's not a human being alive that could clean up the mess because every human being ever born was themselves what? They were a mess. Scripture says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in the same way death came to all men because all sinned, all of us were a mess. Now, since we're all making the mess, who could clean up the mess? Emmanuel. Look at this. Since the children are made of flesh and blood, that's us, It's logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue them by his death. You make the mess, you clean it up. Where's the human that could clean it up? There isn't one. All right, I'll be human. Fully human. Do it right and clean up the mess. By embracing death, taking it to himself, he destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who who cower through life, scared to death of death. He comes, he brings us the truth, he brings us the light, and he takes that very last stronghold, which is death, and then he breaks that through his resurrection. Satan is defeated because of Emmanuel. Emmanuel comes, God with us, brings us the truth, cuts through those lies, shows us the truth, and suddenly we go, oh, that's what you meant. That's what I should be doing. That's the way to live. And the truth breaks through the lies and can break that hold. But breaking Satan's hold kind of leaves me with a little bit of a problem. Actually leaves me feeling guilty. You see, for a lot of my life, I believed Satan's lies. I, I believed that I was good enough, which was his biggest lie to me. That I was good enough and that I was, you know, a pretty decent guy. And I wasn't as bad as the guy next to me, and of course the guy next to me is going to hell. Fortunately, I'm not that bad, so I won't go to hell. That was his lie to me. That was the lie I believed. Then the truth of Emmanuel came, and the truth of Emmanuel said, you know, here's the truth. You're not innocent. And you're not worthy. And look at all the things you've done. And when the truth of Emmanuel broke through to my life, it it didn't leave me going, yay! It left me going, oh, it's me. I did it. I believed this lie my whole life, and look what I've done. So the second way that Emmanuel cleans up the mess is he brings me forgiveness. Forgiveness. okay, I've I've believed Satan's lies, and Satan's been defeated now, but I still need the forgiveness because the truth is now evident in my life. I go, oh, Father, I really blew it. Oh, my word, I didn't realize that I blew it. I thought I was doing well. He said, no, you weren't. Emmanuel comes and shows me the true light. Oh, Father, I'm so... And he brings me forgiveness through the death of on the cross the truth reveals the lies we believe but the truth also reveals who's really to blame and you know who's to blame it wasn't my parents and it wasn't my culture and it wasn't my political system and it wasn't even Satan it was me I did it I believed the lies because I wanted to believe the lies they felt good and it was me and so jesus came not just to tell me the truth but to forgive me for what i'd done this is where we say that jesus was born to die I know this is hard to understand, but take a look at these passages. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Okay, So I had blown it. I had to come to that point where I realized, Father, it's nobody's fault. It's my fault. I did it. I believe the lies because I wanted to believe the lies, but now I feel guilty and God lavished on me as he wants to lavish on you the grace and mercy and forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. This is where God is so generous to forgive everything, to cover it all, and to remove it. Scripture says this: For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son that he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Sometimes truth is hard to accept, isn't it? Sometimes truth hurts. And sometimes truth brings guilt. Particularly when we accept the truth that I can't blame Satan for this any longer. It's not the devil's fault. It's not my parents' fault. It's not my culture's fault. It's Not even Adam and Eve's fault. It's mine. My father through my whole life has been speaking to me and I didn't listen. And I went my own way and you know why I did? Because I wanted to. I did. The lie couldn't have had any impact on me if I didn't want it. And then I stand and say, Father, I'm sorry. And he says, no. My son came to take that away. did not you realize that, that Emmanuel means more than just the truth. Emmanuel means that guilt that you feel right now, it's gone. See, Jesus took that away. He died for you. He paid that price for you. The price that maybe you should feel that you'd be paying right now because of what you've done... You don't have to do that. Jesus did that for you. That guilt can go away. Because Jesus died for you. That's Emmanuel. The truth comes, but truth is hard. With truth, always comes grace. Remember. What John said about Jesus, and we beheld his glory—the glory of the only-begotten only of the Father, full of what? Two things. Do you remember? Grace and truth. Here's Jesus. That's Emmanuel. Here's the truth. It's your fault. It's my fault. Here's the truth. We don't deserve mercy and grace. Here's the truth. We've sinned. The mess we've made of this world, the mess we've made of our lives is our fault. It's not our parents, it's not our culture, it's not Satan. it's us. Here's the grace. I love you so much you don't have to pay that price. Here's the grace. I'll lavish it on you. You want, you want forgiveness? I'll give, it to, I'll give it to you in bucketfuls. I will cover everything you have ever done or thought or thought about doing or thought about thinking about doing. Cover it all with my forgiveness. In Jesus Christ. But is that all there is? Well, okay, so the lies are revealed and and, and the truth is told, and, and the truth hurts because the truth is it's all up to me. But but Satan's power is broken because now the truth of God has come in, and I can understand what, what truth is. And even though I may feel a little guilt because of the things I've done, now I'm lavished with his grace and forgiveness. And so there it is. Now we're done no, we're not. That's not all there is to Emmanuel. If that's all there was, we'd, we'd go right back to it. You know why? Nothing's changed. You know that stuff I, st- I like to do? I still like to do it. Okay, I now realize it's wrong and I've been forgiven, but there's still something in me that wants to listen to those lies. All those lies twisted me. They, they changed something within me. In fact, all of humanity has been twisted a little bit because of all the lies we've listened to. We're born with that tendency to believe those lies. That's what got us in trouble in the first place. And unless, unless that tendency is addressed, unless there's something changed within me, guess what? I'm just going to go back and do them over and over and over and over Again. So, this is the final thing that Emmanuel means for me. He came to change my heart. Okay, he came to break Satan's hold. He came to show me the truth. Then he came to forgive me because that truth revealed that it was all my fault. Then he said, Now, look, I know what happened in your life, I know what led you to this. You need to be a different person. It isn't just about knowledge, it's just not about power. I've got to make you new and different. Bringing forgiveness for guilt is wonderful. That's great. But unless there's a change in who I am and who we are, we're just going to keep doing it over and over again. We need a change of heart. And my friends, that is the main reason for Emmanuel. God with us. Look at this passage. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom through and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. In other words, God is in the... Pro- this is amazing. Not just of forgiving you, but of making you what? Holy. Try telling that to the world sometime. You know, I'm getting holier all the time. It doesn't sound good to them, does it? So don't say that to the world, please. They don't get it. But I can say it to you, you're getting holier all the time. Our Father is right now in the process of changing your heart and making you who you should be a little bit more and a little bit more. and a li- It doesn't happen all at once. Take a look at this passage. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who are with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory, are being, what? Transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Emmanuel doesn't just mean the truth that breaks Satan's lies. Emmanuel doesn't just mean forgiveness. Emmanuel means an actual honest to goodness change of heart. A change within each one of us so that we want to do God's will. So that the lies of Satan bounce off more and more and more. Initially the to the lies of Satan were like velcro. It just kind of sticks. You know why? We want it to stick. We like it. It's fun. Little by little, that Velcro gets turned into Teflon. And the lies of the enemy begin to bounce off, and they slide away. And it's the truth of God that we want to obey. And this, my friends, was his plan from the very, very beginning. Take a look at this. For those God foreknew, he also predestined, To be conformed to the likeness of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, Jesus came to be our model. Not just so that we could say, Well, that's how I should live. But to give us the ability to do it by changing who we are. And that was God's plan from the very beginning. Emmanuel just wasn't a time of celebration. Emmanuel just wasn't a time that says he loves you. Emmanuel just wasn't a time of forgiveness. Emmanuel is the solution for this world and for my life because Emmanuel means I can be changed now how does that change the world Well, one person at a time because that's how the world got into this mess that's how the world can get out there is a a story that I want to close with here and then I've got a video I want to show you as we end. There won't be in a sale of time today other than I want, to want, I want you to watch the video. This time of year is when I, I go back to read um, and I've told you about this author many times. It was written about 100 years ago. It's by Henry Van Dyke and he wrote a story called A Christmas Angel and uh, I have been in so many classes under so many great professors and I've written so many pages and even a book of Theology and Matt, didn't you just have to finish your your uh, theology paper in Wesleyan theology? How many pages was it? Twenty six, something like that. With you know, my dissertation had one hundred and fifty pages and four hundred and eighty footnotes, all that kind of nonsense. Okay. This little story captures better than any class I've ever been in, anything I've ever written or read. What Emmanuel really means. We're not going to read the whole story, it takes a little too long. It just is a story that Van Dyke tells. He talks about the angels up in heaven and all kind of standing around and talking and they look at the mess of the world and they all have their own way of dealing with that mess. For Michael, the strongest angel, he says, you know, what we need to do is we need to give more power to to the right and to the good. If we gave the good people all the power, they could use that power to to make everybody else good and to vanquish the wrong. And the angels say, yeah, but, but don't you remember what happens when you give good people more power? They don't stay good. It breaks them. Another one says, "Well, okay, the only way to, to, because power corrupts, we know that, what men need is more than more knowledge. We need more teaching. We need more wisdom. That's what the world needs. And that'll solve the problem. And then the third angel disagrees, and he hits it right on the head, and now I want to begin the reading. He says this, the third angel, too well I know that power corrupts itself and knowledge cannot save. There is no cure for the evil that is in the world but by the giving of more love to men. Wickedness is begotten by disease and misery. Violence comes from poverty and hunger. The cruelty of oppression is when the strong tread the weak under their feet. The bitterness of pride is when the wise and learned despise the simple. The crown of folly is when the rich think that they are gods and the poor. Think that God is not. Hatred and envy and contempt are the curse of life, and for these there is no remedy save love. The will to give and to bless, the will of the King Himself, who gives to all and is loving unto every man. But how shall the hearts of men be won to this will? How shall it enter into them and possess them? How shall the miracle be brought in human nature to reveal the meaning of humanity? How shall men be made like God? Then suddenly another smaller childlike angel appears and says this. I know it. I know it. Man shall be made like God because the Son of God shall become a man. At this all the angels look to one another with amazement and gather more closely around the child angel. How can this be, they ask? How is it possible that the Son of God should become a man? I don't know. I just know it's going to happen. But if he becomes a man, said one of the angels, he'll be at the mercy of men. The cruel and the wicked will have power on him. He will suffer. I know it, answered the angel. And by suffering, he will understand the meaning of all sorrow and pain and he will be able to comfort everyone who cries and his own tears will be for the healing of sad hearts. I'm not alone. And those who are healed by him will learn for his sake to be kind to each other. But if the Son of God is true man, said another angel, he must first be a child, simple and lowly and helpless. It may be that he'll never gain learning and understanding. The masters of the earth and earthly wisdom will certainly despise him and speak scorn of him. And the angel said, I know it. But in meekness, he will answer them. And to those who become like little children, he will give the heavenly wisdom that comes without seeking to the pure and the gentle of heart. But if he becomes a man, said Michael, the strongest of angels, evil men will hate and persecute him. They may even take his life if they're stronger than he. I know it, said the angel. They'll nail him to a cross. But when he is lifted up, he will draw all men unto him for the will still, for he will still be the Son of God and no heart that is open to love can help but to love him, since his love for all men is so great that he is willing to die for them. But how do you know these things, the angels asked, He said, because I am the Christmas angel, and at first I was sent as a dream of a little child, a holy child, blessed and wonderful, to dwell in the heart of a pure virgin, Mary of Nazareth. There I was hidden until the word came to call me back to the throne of the king and tell me my name and give me my new message, for this is Christmas Day on earth. And today the Son of God is born of a woman. So I must fly quickly before the sun rises to bring the good news to those happy men who have been chosen to receive this word. And so he flew, and the others followed him. They wondered who indeed had been favored and chosen to receive the glad tidings. It must be the emperor of the world, they all thought. But they passed by Rome. It must be the philosophers and the masters of all learning. But they passed by Athens. Could it be the high priests of the Jews and the elders and the scribes? But they passed by Jerusalem. They floated out over the hill country of Bethlehem. The villages were still, and the very houses seemed to sleep. But in one place there was a low sound and a talking of a talking in a stable near to an end, the sound of a mother soothing her baby to rest and there were in that country shepherds abiding in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night and lo the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were so afraid but the angel said don't be afraid for I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be the sign unto you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill to men. And when they had gone back into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go and see this thing that the Lord has made known to us. Emmanuel isn't just about the celebration. And it's not just about his birth. It's so much more. God with us. We're never alone. He believes in you so much. He became you. And now that Satan's hold is broken. Because the truth is revealed. The guilt is removed. Because Jesus died. God's final plan. Can be put into motion. The hearts. Of humanity. Changed. Literally changed. Step by step grace by grace, moment by moment, to think and to feel and then to act as the sons and daughters of God. Let's pray. Father, we sometimes buzz through this this time of year and, and uh, we, we love the stories, we love the, the manger scenes, we love all the traditions, but then, Father, what happens is we forget what Emmanuel means, and that's what we wanted to do in this series, is just to remember the awesome truth of Emmanuel. And that's what we want to leave with this place, Father, in just a moment. So we want to thank you, Jesus. Not because you came to earth, but what you came to do. And it isn't just because you came to die. We appreciate, Father, we're, we're so grateful for that, but it's more than that. It's a changing of humanity. And oh, Father, we need it one person at a time. Thank you, Lord. Amen.